Hey, this is Coach Freddie here, inspiring people to do things that inspire them, and welcome to the I Have for Evolution, where we'll be discussing the benefits of growing and using industrial hemp for people, planet, and profit. Conversations about the history, legalization, farming, harvesting, processing, building, manufacturing, investing, and how industrial hemp can benefit people's lives, heal the planet, and how it can be used to make thousands of products and boost the economy and business. So, are you ready to join the iHemp revolution? Uh, once a plant is harvested, uh, if it's been grown for medicinal value for CBD and, and other cannabinoids uh, and terpenes, then it enters into a process of drying um, and curing. And, you know, during that process, you're, you're starting to lose components of the plant, you know, from the second that you cut it off the stem um, or from the second that it, it goes into senescence and starts to die. Um, you know, these are annual plants, and so they, they have a natural life cycle, and so they start to degrade. And, you know, each step along the way, you know, and, and it takes a, a coordinated handoff between the grower and the processor to preserve, you know, the maximum amount of, of content here. We want to start drying it at about 70 degrees Fahrenheit, which is a little bit hard to find at a barn, you know, in September in North Carolina. Um, and we want to keep it at about 50 to 60 degrees Fahrenheit uh, during that, that drying period. Um, because any hotter, we start to drive off terpenes. Terpenes are not CBD, but they help CBD become more active in your body. They also you know, make for a, a much more pleasant experience with a, with a whole flower or a full spectrum extract product. So um, I've been working in partnership with, um, with our growers to... Um, try to nail a, a good drying process, and that was something that, that crept up on us. You know, most of us didn't have the proper facilities to do that, and so, you know, it was like a, you know, eleventh hour, fifty thousand dollar investment in, in equipment and space to be able to dry all of this, you know, product that we worked so hard to keep free from pests and to grow organically and and in healthy soils, you know, all all season long. Um, you know, it was. At serious risk of being lost, and we did lose a lot of hours. Um, you know, we had a, a botrytis rot, you know, set in, and within 24 hours, we lost a, probably a third of of our harvest. And so, once it's stabilized, once you get the moisture content of it down, um, it can be shelf stable. It can be transported to your processor, you know, as long as it remains fairly cool and the internal moisture content. Um, has dropped from the 75% that it typically is in, in the, of, you know, in a live plant to about 10 to 11%, which inhibits mold growth. And from there we can take it, you know, we can make a whole flower, you know, trimmed bud out of it that people can use to smoke or to, to vaporize whole herb. Um, you know, you can extract, you, you can cook that into oils and, and make butters and, you know, you know consume it that way. Uh, the, the cooking process heats up the, the CBDA and, and decarboxylates it so that it's active. Um, and so you could go direct from flour that way. Um, we're, we're using a solvent extraction uh, process, and, and that's really common with almost all the oils that you see. You know, there's some sort of solvent that's used to dissolve the oil 
out of the plant, but leave behind the, you know, all the fibrous material, all the chlorophyll, um, you know, all the other, you know, less desirable portions of the plant. And, um, and there, there's a, a few different philosophies on, you know, how to go about that. You know, you can press it with heat. You know, it's a very difficult process to scale up. Um, you know, you're usually, you know, pressing in a 20-ton press, and it's about a, you know, maybe two ounces of, you know, dried material at a time, which, you know, when you're trying to process a thousand pounds a, a, a month, which is my modest scale, um, there's no way you'd ever get there. But it makes a nice, you know, live uh, extract, um, you know, for, and it's something that, that is available to, you know, for a DIY, you know, kind of by at-home concentrate maker. Um, most of the folks out west that are doing cannabis extracts are using some form of uh, propane or butane extraction, and that's a you know naturally a very flammable process. And um, what are the negatives with that? Um, the the negatives are you know any residual solvent in the the final product. You know it's it's not you know. Technically speaking, it's probably okay. You're probably not going to consume any more of it through your concentrate than you would, you know, through a lighter if you're using a big lighter to light something. But you know, it, we're, we're making medicine, and, and to me, it doesn't square up with my philosophy, you know, of, of what is a, a healing product. And you know, trying to get a facility license to do this this type of extraction work, you know, you're you're in the highest hazard. Um, uh, certification level uh, with the with fire code, and and so you're looking at many hundreds of thousands of dollars to uh, prepare a space, you know, with fire suppression and, and ventilation and all to to be able to extract with this technology. So and I've heard you must have, and again, this is a lowball figure, seven hundred and fifty to a million dollars to be yeah, that's a, to to acquire the equipment you need. That would be a fair estimate, and. Um, you know, of course, the folks who have made that kind of investment are, are going to be big defenders <laughs> of that that technology and that process. But there has been a shift um, more recently. Um, you know, there was the emergence of supercritical CO2 extraction, and, and that was a direction I was pl originally planning on going with. It's you know, the Lux has been years in the making. You know, we we haven't had material in North Carolina. You know, up until this season uh, to really justify the investment or the build out of of one of these uh, facilities, but um, with supercritical CO2, you get a you know a butane, arguably a butane or propane um, hydrocarbon quality extract. It still needs some post processing, and it's an expensive bit of equipment. You're dealing with pressures in the 5,000 psi range in order to make liquid CO2 uh, start to act like something in between a gas and a liquid and, and you can by dialing in the pressure you can dial in how aggressive of a solvent it is, how much of the plant it's dissolving and, and pulling out at any given point. Let me so, ask you a question, you just said that somebody asked me earlier. Can you freeze dry at you, some point? People yeah, ask me, yeah, you can you can certainly freeze dry and then extract from that and um, and that's that's a way that people on, in the West Coast, in the the full recreational uh, cannabis states, and the medical ones too, are doing this to a certain degree. Uh, they're making live resin, and that's um, taking a freeze-dried plant that has all of the monoterpenes, the very lightest 
uh, most delicate terpenes of the whole plant profile and, and preserve them by flash freezing it uh, as soon as it's cut and then um, extracting it at, at very low temperatures so that it doesn't degrade them. And, um, you know, it's a, a wonderful product, but still, you know, you have all the issues with, with hydrocarbons and getting the hydrocarbons out without losing the thing that you went up to all that trouble to preserve these, these very light terpenes. So, Nathan, how do you see Lux working with growers in North Carolina throughout the South? I mean, where do you see your niche, your position? Uh... So, my, my concern, you know, especially look, you know, with the hope of federal legalization of, of hemp occurring, you know, maybe in the next year or two, um, you know, I think that like any industry, it's, you know, it, once the big money moves in, you know, you're, you're at risk of being commoditized. And, you know, it roughly 10,000 acres of good cannabis farmland would grow, would, would have the potential to grow 100% of the cannabinoid demand of North America. In a year. So it wouldn't be hard for us all to be displaced, all of us that are taking a craft and artisanal quality focused approach to to this market. And so that, that's my main concern. I hear about processing facilities starting up all the time that are doing like 20,000 pounds a day. You know, it's the scale that they're looking at and, you know, they're buying, you know, train load, car loads of, of hemp flour or hemp biomass, you know, from big industrial farms that are harvested with a combine and um, you know that given the experience we've had you know fighting pests you know trying to keep things fertilized dried try to get it um, you know dried and stabilized you know post harvest you know that in my mind the only thing that can be made from you know 20,000 pounds of you know hemp biomass to drop on my doorstep would be an isolate you know it's because you can't control for everything else that may get concentrated into your your extract um, otherwise and there, there may be pesticides in there you don't know you know what the farmer was using yeah you don't know what sort of mold might have set up in it etc so um, so my goal is to work with growers um, who are are able to to grow to a very high level of quality organically that gives me confidence that I can do a full spectrum extract and concentrate everything that's in that plant that I purchased from the farmer and, you know, without a concern of you know, concentrating toxins. So you mentioned something earlier, and we're going to start taking questions, but going back to Crohn's and some of these chronic you know, illnesses, chronic pain, it seems like a lot of those folks that use CBD don't want anything to do with THC. Yeah, absolutely, and, and I, I think that the answer to that, you know, for us as, you know, again, craft scale, local scale operators, um, you know, will be through better genetics, you know, for, you know, plants that were grown for, you know, THC content and, and smokability, you know, there's an incredible amount of diversity out there. And, and at the end of the day, you know, the hemp plant is the same plant, you know, it presumably has the same amount of breeding potential, you know, to, you know, increase CBD content levels, other cannabinoids, if we don't understand what their benefits are all that well. Um, and then also, you know, better terpene profiles, stuff that's, you know, less grassy, you know, maybe has, you know, and we know that the terpenes themselves have modifying effects on, you know, the cannabinoids of interest. You know, the Marinol, pure THC has been out there as a drug for years and years, and it's not very prescribed because it's not good on its own. THC isn't good on its own and I think that 
you know, we'll discover that CBD on its own as an isolate is, is you know, it'll have its uses, but, you know, in the context of the other components of the plant, you know, I think that, you know, we'll, we'll find better applications and, and that will be done through breeding and it'll be done through formulation, testing, and, and knowing what we're putting into our end products. Yeah, so you're creating a product that you would use. Oh, absolutely. That quality absolutely. control is there. I want to thank our listeners for tuning in today. And make sure that you subscribe to the iHemp Revolution podcast on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. Give us a review and follow us on facebook.com forward slash iHempRevolution. Like us and then tell your friends. Help us spread the word about how using industrial hemp can benefit people, heal the planet, and provide long-term profit. This is your host, Coach Freddie, inspiring people to do things that inspire them, and thanks for joining the iHemp Revolution.